Please be seated. I remember when uh, I was in high school and I was one of those guys, like a lot of folks, searching, you know, just kind of looking, looking for what God might be up to in my life and what that might look like just personally. Uh, I had a real godly mom who knew the Lord and walked with Him and so I had a real good picture of what it looked like in human form, you know, a personal relationship with God. But I didn't have that. That was far from where I was. As a matter of fact, if you were to put one word to characterize how I was experiencing life during many of those years, it would be the word rejected. I, I literally felt that way. A lot of reasons for it, uh, tangible reasons, you know, very valid reasons. And yet that was the word. And I remember a coach that kind of embraced me and just kind of walked alongside of me and just looked in my life and said, hey, what are you really after, Paul? What do you want in life, you know? What are you, what are you really desiring to do in life, you know? And, and then he would add something to it. He would say, uh, Christ is the answer. <laughs> He's a high school coach, you know? Never, never will forget it. The power of that in my life was just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And at the beginning of my senior year, I came to that place where I recognized that Christ was the answer and I accepted Him as the answer. And so I went from a place of being rejected to a place of being accepted, literally accepted by God. I recognized that. You know, Coach told me that. I, just, I saw it in Scripture. I felt it in my heart. Uh, the night I prayed to receive Christ in 1969 was a glorious night for me. I mean, the, the peace of God just kind of fell over me. I felt it, you know, literally, literally like a wave, you know. I mean, it was just real. It wasn't, it wasn't ecstatic or anything like that. As a matter of fact, no one would even looking at it would call it remarkable. But I knew it was. Inside me, I went from a place of being rejected or living rejected to a place of living accepted, recognizing that the basis upon which I was accepted was forgiveness. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ that He forgave me of my sin, that He literally came in and cleansed me of my sin, that He was the only one who could. I could not do it myself. Had no ability to. As a matter of fact, that's how I was experiencing life, was as an unforgiven person, as a person who had no power over the very things in my life that I needed victory over, and yet rejection was what I was experiencing. And in Christ, I felt acceptance. In Christ, I received. I was able to gain acceptance. You know, Coach used John 1, 12, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The power of that was phenomenal, that faith actually became viable to me, that it became tangible to me, so that in my relationship with God, faith was something that was able to be expressed toward him. And, and the feeling of that acceptance, and it was a feeling, but the recognition of the truth of that acceptance as something founded in Christ was phenomenal for me. Phenomenal. Well, I, I don't know if you've received Christ or not. You know, I don't know where you are in your determination of what is life to you or how you have determined to live your life. Have you really determined to say, Christ is the answer? Christ is the one upon whom I am committing all. He is my trust. Nothing else. No one else. Only His forgiveness will do. I, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, those are the kinds of proclamations that a person makes when they come to that place in Christ to know Him. This past Sunday, we had the privilege of having a baptismal service, and Frenchie, we 
his name is Gene Warren, actually. But Frenchie is one of our beloved brothers. And Frenchie, there's your baptismal certificate. Praise the Lord. You know, his testimony Sunday afternoon about the nature of how Christ came into his life and how he's committed himself to be a follower of Christ was, was wonderful. It was, it was, it was much um, uh, well understood, I think, I would say, in the room. You know, or we were around a swimming pool. No, I'm going to be wrong. It was outside. So we weren't in a room. But in, in the nature of who we are as the body of Christ, we understood that. And praise the Lord that he comes that way, you know. You know, the, the thing that I recognized that night was something real simple that Coach said. He just simply said, you have to submit yourself to Him. You have to submit yourself to God. It's, it's a simple act. And the question is, will you do it? And so I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just going to give you a chance. Yeah, maybe you've done it. Maybe you know Christ personally. If you have, then pray for others. But maybe you haven't, you know. I prayed a prayer. It was a real simple prayer. Something like this. God, I need you. I cannot overcome my own sin. But in Christ, it is done. I receive you. I receive you as Lord. I want to follow you. Help me. Come into my life. Make me the man you desire me to be. You know, if that's the kind of heart that you have before God, and maybe for the very first time, just cry out to Him with that kind of prayer and watch what He does when you humble yourself before Him and express faith in Him. Watch what He does because He will save you. He will change you. He will transform your life. I'll give you a moment just to talk to God. Father, our relationship with you isn't some religious thing that is just foreign to normal life. It's made up in those very real experiences like being rejected or being accepted. It's made up of those things of the recognition of how we overcome the challenges of our life, the sin of our life, the offense toward you. And that comes through forgiveness, Lord, and thank you for Christ. Thank you that in him we have the forgiveness of sin. And as followers of Christ, and maybe someone in this room, even this morning, has just said to you, I want to follow you, Lord, with all my heart. I just want to follow you. I don't have all kinds of answers, and I don't know. i got more questions than, than maybe anybody else does, but I just want to follow you. And Lord, when we cry out to you like that, you respond. And God, I pray that you just respond in, in a warm way this morning. In just a moment as we partake in the Lord's table, we invite anyone who knows you to do that. And God, the privilege we have of recognizing the power of overcoming of sin that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord is just that. It's a privilege. And my prayer for me and for us is that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ will be found by us every day as we seek to understand what it is to walk in you, to walk forgiven. Grant us that kind of grace, I pray, in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, some are going to come and help us by giving out the elements for the Lord's Supper. Come on and do that right now, uh, uh, gentlemen, and uh, we will appreciate it very much. I'm going to talk about one or two things as we, as we go through this moment of um, handing out the elements because I want you to understand something. The Lord's Supper is a real privilege, 
And it's something that God says to us, as you partake, as you participate in the table, in the Lord's Supper, you are um, not only proclaiming for all of those around you that you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord, but that He is your Lord, that you are seeking to walk with Him. It's not a religious thing. It's not just a simple thing that we do that that says, hey, I'm going to be better because of this, or I'm going to be okay because, or forgiven because of it. No, the blood of Christ, the very thing that the cup represents, is, is the thing that cleanses us from sin. And so we're saying, I have been cleansed from sin. We're saying Christ is in my life. And anyone, as a matter of fact, everyone who names the name of Christ should consistently participate in the Lord's table. It's one of His commands, as it were. We call it an order of the church. It's something that we administrate so that we as the body of Christ are obedient to Christ. And so the nature of what He has done for us is remembered and experienced and known and well-known. That it's not something that's just religious. You know, this is not a religious thing. This is something to be done by those who are followers of Christ. And so if you're a follower of Christ, whether you became a Christian like I did in 1969 or whether you prayed to receive Christ this morning for the very first time, this is an opportunity for you to remember what Christ did for you. As you hold that wafer in your hand, I want to remind you of a little text of Scripture. It's one of my favorite, as a matter of fact, when it comes to the effect of the nature of what Christ did for us. But it's it's 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says a lot. But one of the things Peter says, I believe it's in verse 24, is that Christ bore my sin, our sin, on his body. And so when you hold that wafer, it's a remembrance that your sin was placed upon the body of Jesus Christ at the cross, that he sacrificed his life for it. You see, the very justice of God required that sacrifice for your sin be made. And I couldn't and you could not make that sacrifice for our own sin. We had no ability to. So Christ became our substitute. He became the one who took our sin and sacrificed his own life for that sin. So when you hold that wafer, it's again, not a religious thing you do. It's a remembrance of the very body of Jesus Christ that he bore your sin on his body. Now when you hold the cup, it's a, it's a phenomenal thing that you hold. And again, it's quite frankly grape juice. <laughs> so it's not a religious thing. Like there's something in that that's going to cause something to take place in my life or your life. It's not a religious thing. It is a, it is a, a memory, if you will, a remembrance that when Christ was on the cross that His blood was spilt, and His blood, being spotless, without sin, was able to cleanse us from our sin. And and 1 John 1, 7 says that the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. And when the apostle applies that truth in verse 9, he not only says that it cleanses you of the sin that you confess, but it cleanses you from all unrighteousness. I mean, He takes care of that sinfulness. So not only was He the bearer of your sin by His body, but He was the cleansing of your sin by His blood. 
And so when you partake, we just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for doing what we could not do. Thank you that you took us from being rejected to being accepted. And that you placed within us ones who were guilty. You placed within us forgiveness. And that that came because of the sacrifice of Christ. That he, he bore our sins on the cross. And it was produced by the very blood of Christ. Christ himself being our hope. And so we say thank you this morning as we remember, as we worship you as our only Savior and our only Lord. Be Lord, be Lord in me, in us. And so we say thank you for bearing our sin. And thank you for cleansing our sin. As I was thinking, excuse me, about this moment, I came across Hebrews chapter 13. It's verse 20 and 21. It's quite frankly a blessing. And I offer it to you that way. But I'd like to read these two verses and then we're going to sing this wonderful worship song. And my prayer is that as you have participated in the very act of remembering the sacrifice of Christ for you, and as you hear and receive this blessing, that your heart will just be open to God and that worship of Him will be mighty and powerful in your life. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, there is none like you. We bless you for being the one who is not only holy, unbelievably awesome, and yet is so personal that you would touch us right where we live. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Be honored today as we open your word, as we seek to follow you as our Lord. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're beginning a new series this morning called The Good Life, (laughs) and it actually is uh, right in Matthew 6 and 7, so we're going to still be there. And I'm I'm titling this message, A Good Treatment, and I think you'll get that as we we walk along. But I want to tell you a little story that happened yesterday with my son and I. Uh, Ben and I were playing football in our living room yesterday. I call it a living room. It's really not a living room. It's really a game room or his playroom because there's only toys in this room. There's no furniture at all. It's just this open room. And we were having fun. We were tackling each other and running around and throwing the ball at each other and all those kind of things, just having a really, really good time. And Meg was gone, and so it was just us being able to be boys, so to speak, you know, and, and, and having fun. And at one point, I throw the ball to him, 
and it flies by his head, past him, over toward the front door, you know. And he turns around and he runs after this ball. And I'm going, wow, this is really cool, you know. I'm going to really see my kid go over, pick up this ball, and throw it back at me, you know, because or he'd throw the ball at times, he'd go all over the room, you know, of course. But, and he just ran toward that ball and without hesitation, no stopping, ran past the ball two feet over to the doorstop and started flipping it with his finger. You know, it's one of those spring-loaded ones. You know, he's back there, boom, 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 boom. He does this for two or three minutes. He's just sitting there going, bow, 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 bow. Never had a break. There was no disconnection in the two things. I mean, somewhere in his two-and-a-half-year-old mind, there was this no-break-in-action kind of thinking going on. The one thing was the other, and the other was the one. It made no difference at all. I mean, they were just connected. And I said, hey, Ben, you going to throw me the ball? Boom, 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 boom. I mean, he's flipping that thing back and forth, just having, a, just having a good old time. I mean, sometimes we're too old, aren't we? <laughs> sometimes we're, we don't get the connection. We don't see the connectors. I mean, sometimes we're just too old to even see that there is a connection. Maybe we're too callous, I don't know. A lot of different things like that, you know. But for him, no break in the action. None at all. I mean, for him, it, it was one thing. It was all the same thing. I mean, we, all of that. That's what's happening in Matthew chapter 7, between verse 7 and verse 12. There's a connection. And we're too old. We don't see the connection. We, we don't even understand how these two verses relate to each other. We think they're separated from each other. And, but there's, there's no break in the action. None. These two verses are intimate with each other. They are connected. That's why they're next to each other. That, that's why Jesus put them alongside of each other. He wasn't just simply breaking the action, going on to another thing that he was going to talk about. No, they're interconnected. No break in the action. And I believe that the reason he does this is because he wants us to get it. He wants us to understand the connection between Matthew 7, 7, which says, Ask, seek, knock. If you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, it's open to you. And verse 12, commonly called the golden rule, treat others the way you want them to treat you. Okay? There's this connection between these two things. They're the same thing. They're not broken apart. And so here's my premise. The premise of this message is the way I communicate with God has a direct impact on how I communicate with people. The way I communicate with God has a direct impact on the way I communicate with people. And I believe vice versa. That if I'm, the way I communicate with people has a direct impact on the way I communicate with God. Now, it's really honestly not hard to see in this text. If you'll just open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, I, I think that you can see it if you just let, let the text and the subject of Matthew 7 just kind of come across to you. Like if you looked at the first six verses of Matthew 7, he's talking about how we relate to each other, isn't he? Don't judge. See the speck? Look for the log. You know, be careful how you give truth away, like in verse 6. And then down in verse 12, you know, the way you want to be treated, that's how you treat other people. You know, relational, right? 
In verse 7, he's talking about prayer, isn't he? He's talking about the intimacy of prayer. He's talking about where we get our resources from, how these things relate to each other. Do you see it? See, they're connected. They're, They're not apart. He isn't breaking the action to talk about something that has no relationship to the way I'm relating to other people or how I'm, how I'm in relationship with them. No, he's telling me something that's intimate to it, that's integral to it. They're, they're literally connected. And to see it, to understand the nature of the connection is essential if I'm going to get this thing that God wants for me, that, that I'm after, commonly called the good life. <laughs> I mean, Christ is saying, I've got something for you. I want you to get this. I want you to experience this. I mean, we don't have to go to the place to where we're just making a good guess. You know, Simon says, oh, Simon didn't say, oh, okay, missed that one. We don't have to guess. You know, no, God is after something for us that in our relationship with Him will bring satisfaction of heart. It will bring a connection to Him. It will benefit others in our relationship with others. There's this connection between these two things. How I'm relating to him and how I'm relating to each other is essential. And when you think about your children and the people that you love the most, I mean, the stakes are high here, aren't they? And if you'll allow me for a moment, if you just think about the nature of the body of Jesus Christ and Christians, no differently than you, people who've trusted Christ affirmed Christ, seeking to walk with Christ, understand the nature of the power of Christ in their life, and they're really trying to walk it out just like you. I mean, man, we need those prayers, don't we? We need that intimate connection to God, and we need those relational touches of that other person. We need each other. But it's this, it's the, the vital nature of it is both. It's not one or the other. And they're not separated from each other. They're connected. The way you pray has everything to do with the way you treat people. And the way you treat people has everything to do with the way you pray. Everything. That's what he's trying to say. And just looking at the text and looking at the subject of these first 12 verses gets us there, doesn't it? Every mother describes verse 12 to their children, don't they? (laughs) Especially if they have more than one. (laughs) You know, says to the son, treat her the way you want to be treated by her. And he goes, that's all I needed. Now I'm going to go let her have it. And she says, no, 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 that's not what I mean. You can't just go let her have it. And he says, why not? She treats me this way. I'm going to treat her the way she treats me. You ever had that exchange? Daily? (laughs) Isn't it funny how we realign what Jesus said in verse 12? And we realign it to our experience. I'm treated this way. I'm going to treat this way back. But that's not what that verse means, is it? I mean, that verse is clear, right? I mean, we don't even have to talk about it. I mean, we know it, right? I mean, I treat others the way I, the way I want to be treated. It kind of requires that I look into the future and say, how do I want to be treated? And then I come back to present and I treat the other person that same way. 
But too many times we end up justifying our own action toward the other person because they treat us that way. We change the verse. Why do we do that? What motivates that kind of action? When Jesus is so clear in this text, why would one do that? Do you ever ask yourself questions? Do you ever ask yourself questions? (laughs) Do you ever ask yourself questions like these? Do I desire to treat others as Christ treats them? Do you ever ask yourself that question? How about this one? Now, this, this one assumes that you want to be treated fairly. No? Yes? Yes, right? Okay, it assumes that. Do I want to be treated by others the way I desire to be treated or the way I treat others? Do you ever ask yourself questions like that? Well, let's assume for a moment the best, and let's assume we do ask ourselves questions like that. We look at our relationships and we, we end up, maybe we end up saying, you know, how might I craft my behavior in such a way that it models the golden rule, verse 12? You know, how might I do that? What, what he actually directs in this verse, what, what might I do that... So, you know, characterize my relationships, that, that I live that way. What, what might I do? Now, I want to remember the premise. The way I pray has everything to do with the way I treat people. So I believe the way I answer the question of how I might craft my behavior, I think what Jesus is trying to say is if you want to answer that question... You need to ask yourself the question, how do you pray? And why do you pray? For instance, when you look at verse 7, where it says ask, and if you go to the next slide, I think it's the text of verse 7 and verse 12. If you look at this little verse of Scripture, everyone knows this little passage of Scripture. You know, first question would come out of this, what do you ask for? You know, what do you ask for? Have you ever just made a list of what you ask for? Go through the end of the day, you know, sit down at the end of the day, 12 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, and just make a list of the things you asked God that day. You know, what were, you know. And then, then add to it, so why did you ask that? What motivated that? What motivated that kind of request in your life? Has everything to do with how you treated people that day? So then you ask the second question, so what do you seek? What do you seek? You ever answer that question? I mean, what you ask and what you seek are very different. I don't know if you have experienced it that way, but I do. Many times what I ask for are tangible things, you know, stuff, the, the, an answer, you know, that kind of stuff. What I seek is more internal, isn't it? Yeah, it's more inside of me. I'm after something deeper. Like I'm, I may want a good experience at work today, but I'm really seeking for satisfaction, you know, so, so I'm seeking for something. So what do you seek for? You ever made a list? And then why do you seek that? What motivates your seeking of that thing? And then, have you ever made a list? Upon what do you knock? You ever see yourself knocking? Upon what do you knock? I mean, this is part of the way prayer is built. Jesus is saying, ask, seek, knock. Upon what do you knock? Are you knocking on anything? 
I mean, sometimes we go through life, we ask for all kinds of stuff. Sometimes we don't quite know what we're seeking for, and we don't knock. The balance of our prayer life ends up affecting how we relate to another person, how we treat the other person. It's just true. And then why do you knock on something? What do you knock on and why? What motivates that knocking? What's that about for you? And then when you look at verse 12, I would end up saying, you know, how do you view others? If you, just, if you were just to think out loud, maybe write a paragraph or two on how you view others, what would it contain? You see, in, in verse 12 when he says, in everything therefore... He's connecting it to the very things he just said in verse 7 through 11 about the nature of prayer. He's saying, in everything, therefore, treat people. You see? They're connected. They're interrelated. So what do you not? What do you ask for? What do you seek? What do you not? And why? What motivates that? And then how, how do you view others? What, what are they to you? What does that look like? Now, I want you to notice the progression in this text. And in the handout that you received, all of these verses, verse 7 through 12, are are listed there. And I'm I'm not going to show them on the screen, but I'm going to appeal to verse 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 here in this process, okay? I think there's a progression of what Jesus is trying to say in this text. This is simple. You'll get it. So so just kind of hang with me, and and you'll you'll hear it. Like, for, for example, failure to pray results in missing God's provision. Okay? Failure to pray results in missing God's provision. So if the person is not asking, guess what? They're not receiving. Ask and you will receive. Like verse 8, For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. And then down in verse 11, the very end of the verse, referring to the Father, who is in heaven... Give what is good to those who ask Him. It's those who actually do it. Failure to pray results in missing God's provision. Make sense? Pretty simple, right? Okay, look at the second kind of progression. Missing God's provision leaves you to your own resources. (laughs) If you don't have His resources, what resources do you have? See, the lack of God's resources creates an incapacity to treat others well. That's the connection to verse 12. When I don't have His resources, I'm not going to be able to treat others well. Thus, He says, in everything, therefore, treat people. So the result of my prayer life will empower my ability to be able to treat others well. But if I'm not praying, I'm not receiving the provision, and thus the limited nature of my resources, the limited nature of my resources creates the need for more. I'm not praying, ask, seek, knock. I'm not receiving His provision, His resources. So I'm left to my own resources, and the limited nature of my resources creates the need for more. So what do I do? I look for another source. I go to another source. This need creates me viewing this person a certain way. 
Now I'm not getting my resource from God, so where do I go for the resource now? Where do I go? I go to that person, don't I? I go to someone else. I'm looking for that other person to fill this thing that, quite frankly, God only can fill. That's why he says, ask, seek, knock. He's the one where those solutions come from. Now, the apostles just really help us out here. And down at the bottom of your notes, you'll notice the passage in 1 John chapter 2 is printed. And if you'll pop up the next screen, it'll show us this uh, part of this text, verse 15 and verse 17. Now, you need verse 16 in between to see the whole nature of this. But, it, but John here outlines the other sources. When a person doesn't resource God for what they need, ask, seek, knock, when a person doesn't do that, where do they go to to get the resources they need? Because in ourselves, we lack, don't we? I mean, we don't have. That's the whole point of the nature of our connection with others and the connection with God. And when, when, those, when those other things become needs inside of me, and they become emotional, don't they? It's not just a list of things that I want or a list of things that are necessary. Uh, the static kind of thing, it's like a grocery list. You know, oh, I forgot the butter. You know, It's not like that. No, it's a need. <laughs> Inside myself, I'm after this thing. Then what am I seeking for? And if I'm not saying, God, I really want satisfaction and the nature of satisfaction that comes from you, if I'm not doing that with him, guess what I'm going to do in my relationships? How do I view that other person? I'm going to view them as someone who is going to meet this need of mine. For satisfaction, as an example. Do you follow it? And so we go to that person, and what ends up happening? Well, here's, here's where the Apostle John comes in. He said, don't love the world. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. When these desires become emotional needs then they become demands that I make on the other person. I'm actually asking that other person to, to fill something only God can fill, quite frankly, that God desires to fill. That's why he says, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. But I'm not, I'm not asking him. I'm going to them. I'm looking for them to become this resource to me. What's the answer? Well, look at verse 16, printed on your notes. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. In other words, they don't work. <laughs> they don't work. And when prayerlessness is in my life, when the failure to pray is in my, pray is in my life, guess what I'm going to resource? I'm going to resource this world. I'm going to resource my flesh. I'm going to resource things that don't work. As a matter of fact, John actually says in this text, he actually is, is trying to communicate in this text that not only do they not work, they are in opposition to each other. The one eliminates the other. That's why he says, don't love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, the very thing that God wants me to experience, I am forfeiting. Why? Because I'm resourcing 
The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, four of those things. I can't have both. One will eliminate the other. It pushes it out. So that when the failure to pray is there, ask, seek, knock, the requirement is going to come relationally. Now I'm going to look to you to meet my need. I'm going to look to you to satisfy me. I'm going to look to you to open up my doors for me. And I've just replaced God in my life with you. And when you don't come through, I don't like it. (laughs) Well, he treated me that way. So I have the right now to treat them that way. Look at verse 17. Two truths. There's two simple truths. Listen, if if we would believe these two truths, not just let them be static on a piece of paper, but if we would believe these two truths every day as we walk through life, that we believe the world is passing away and also its lust, so we give up on those lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes, boastful pride of life. If we believe that, it will change how we walk through life. It will cause us to actually ask, seek, knock. Instead of just going on and saying, I got this, I got control, I'm, a, I'm the man, I, you know, I'm okay. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. Look at your relationships to figure it out. How's it going? <laughs> got any judgment going on? Going back to verses 1 through 6. All the time, right? 1 Corinthians 4 is a great example of it in the Corinthian church, church's life and experience. In verse 5 of that text, he says, Don't go on judging each other, but wait. God is going to judge. Everything's going to be made clear. Motives of men's hearts going to be revealed. Wait for that day. Don't judge now. Why? Because you don't have the ability to. It doesn't work. It's like accessing something, someone, for the needs in my life. When God is the one who says, I'm in that role. I am to be in that role. And if you're not in that prayer role with Him, that connection with Him, guess what's going to happen relationally with you and the most important person in your life? With you and your boss, with you and your neighbor, with you and your son, with you and your daughter. I mean, name the people. Guess what? We're going to change verse 12. We're going to treat others the way we're treated. And believe we have every right to. Why? Because we're not praying. We're not having Him to be the resource. Does that make sense? You see, I think what God is trying to say to us is that we need to learn to actually pray. Not how to pray. I mean, some of you could teach a class on how to pray. But the question becomes, do you pray? (laughs) How involved is that prayer? I mean, does it have levels to it like ask, seek, knock? Where is it in your life? your, Your prayer life has everything to do with your relational life, everything to do with what it is. And listen, if you look at verse 11, go back up to the top of your sheet that we handed out. If you look at verse 11, and here's Jesus saying this beautiful thing. He says, 
If you then, being evil, in other words, you guys don't have the goods, you know, you're, you got faults, you got problems, okay? Know how to give good gifts to your children, and certainly we do, right? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? I mean, He's going to pull it off. If you do that, don't you think He will? And the, the way I come out of this with a question is, you know, do you treat God as good by the way you talk to Him? Do you treat God as a good father who's going to give to his children for their best, for their benefit, by the way you talk to him? See, how we relate to God, how we are actually praying. You know, when I thought about this verse, I said, God's not a bait and switch guy. God's not like that. He's not a marker that puts it out like it's going to be phenomenal, and when you get there, it's not. You know, puts a price out, you know, buy this car for $15,999. When you get there, the cheapest one on the lot is $22,745. You ever seen that one? He's not like that. He's good. When you pray, when you talk to God, do you talk to Him that way as a good God? Do you see what I'm saying? What, what Christ is trying to get us to is this place to where we see the power of what our prayer life can look like and be and how it can relate to other people, what it can actually mean to us. And the way I came out, I came out with four applications. Let me just show you these four. One at a time, by the way, uh, Ruthie. Just put up the first one for us. Here is the motive of the prayer, the prayer life, and then the treatment of others. The connector of verse 7 and verse 12. And the first one is self-focused prayer equals... It's a, it should be a bullet point just to pop it up. Thank you. You ever made the list of what you ask for? You ever ask why you ask for that list of things? Self-focused prayer creates selfishness in my relationships with others. If I'm so focused with God about what I must have right now, and I'm treating Him in a demanding way, guess what's going to happen in my relationships? It's called selfishness. Now, when you add to that, put the second bullet point up for me. My wants, when I focus on my wants in prayer, I will focus on my rights in relationship. So I treat God this way. Guess what? If I will treat God this way, what do you think I'm going to do with you? <laughs> Does it make sense? See the problem? See, how do you pray? I mean, how do you actually pray? Not just knowing the right list. All of us know verse 7. You know, all of us know that. We learned it at Bible school, didn't we? I mean, we know that verse well. But what do you ask for and why? What do you seek for and why? What do you knock upon and why? I mean, is it self-focused? Is prayer for you this, this gimme thing? We'll pray for you today as you speak, okay? 
God bless you, buddy. He's going to another church to, to talk for the Gideons. So, D- does that make sense? Does it? Now, now look at this next one. Let's, let's go positive for a second. Put the third one up for us. Did you know that when a person is humble before God, they become respectful with people? When I just say, God, man, I need you bad, you know. I, you know, I, see, it's not that it's not my needs focused. It is. That's why he says ask. He wants you to ask. But why do you ask and how do you ask? Is it with a, with a humility that says, you know, Lord, you don't have to answer this. You may have something else. Look down at the bottom of your sheet at verse 17 of 1 John 2. I mean, here is, this, here is this wonderful little statement. The second of these truths, the world is passing away and also it's lost. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. I mean, many times the thing I'm asking for isn't His will. It's what I'm demanding. It's what I want. It's my sense of this. And especially when I look at relationships and I go, well, my wife isn't doing it. I mean, my friend, they're not showing up like they should. And we go to God, God, why? No no humility there, right? (laughs) Do you see it? The will of God. when When I get committed to the will of God, that's what humility is about. Saying, Lord, I don't want my way. I do not want my way. I want your way. Because if I want my way, I will get after my way. To the exclusion of your way. That's exactly what will happen. I don't want my way. I want yours. I don't want my answer. I want yours. I want what you're after in my life. I want what you want in my life. Number four, go ahead and put it up for us. His will. That's what I'm after. And and, and it's really amazing. When, when I have seen people discover and, and believe in and desire His will, no matter what else they might want, I see them respect the other person and want the best for the other party. Every time. Every time. Instead of just demanding, this is what they better do. This is what you need to do now. Self-focused, you know. And so that I'm demanding of that other person, I want them to come through, you know. I mean, I'm going to treat them selfishly. I want them to do something that's going to benefit me. But when the will of God is understood, and that God really is in charge, He really is in control, He's empowered, and He's empowering, you know, in our lives. When, when we live by that truth, the one who does the will of God abides forever. That's a truth to remember, isn't it? That's a truth to recognize. Am I committed to the will of God or am I committed to my will? So when, the, when it's the will of God, then, man, I'm after whatever it is that's going to be best for that other person. I will allow it to be, even when it's less than me, less than what I want, less than what I believe is even functionally helpful to that person. And if you're a parent and you've got a child that's anywhere near 20, <laughs> you have experienced this one, haven't you? Because <laughs> they don't match up to what we want. I was going to say hardly ever, but maybe 
ever. <laughs> right? Well, that's how it feels. <laughs> I can tell you stories about my older two children and just say, man, there's just so much stuff that I want differently. But you know, when I get committed to his will, I'm just after their best. I, I, don't, I don't even care whether what I think ought to happen happens. I want their best. You know, you know, that's what we want, isn't it? We just want the best for us. Doesn't have to be a million-dollar mansion, right? Just a solid home that's safe, you know? I mean, we don't have to have a Lexus 460. We might, but we don't have to. It can be a Nissan Altima. Nice car, you know, does the deal. We just want what's best for us. There's a connection. <laughs> you know, Ben would just flip that thing back and forth. I mean, he literally sat there for two or three minutes just flipping that thing back and forth. It was really sweet. I mean, I just sat there and watched it and enjoyed it. I didn't demand to get up and get me the ball or anything like that. I really, got, I really captured it. Matter of fact, I sat there and thought about this message and thought, that's the perfect, this is it. That's it. That's the picture right there. That's the picture right there. So my question for you and my question for me is how do you pray? Well, Lord, I just pray that you take us now maybe one step farther down the path than we've been before. Sometimes we're like our children. We, we treat the other person because of the way they treated us. And we miss the very resource Jesus is trying to give us of being able to, to treat them the way we really want to be treated. And when we'll cry out to you in the middle of that and ask and seek and knock and really understand what you're after for us in that progression, see the power of it in our lives, your resource to us. I mean, Father, it just changes how we relate to that person. And I want to thank you for that. I pray that now, by the power of this Word of God in Matthew 7, that you so infuse it into our hearts that our prayer lives would become different and that the way we view others and the way we treat them would be just like that, that preferred future that we want for ourselves. Bless us with that privilege of following you. God, as we give back to you in just a moment, we pray that you expand your kingdom. Pray that you enrich the body of Christ. We pray that people outside the family of God would hear the gospel clearly. May you grant us grace as we give, and may you use those gifts to literally do that which is your will. And I pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord.